Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, we're getting into my LinkedIn DMs to do some Q&A. My producer, Drea, and I pull up some of these great thought-provoking questions you're all sending me. Rather than only answer them online, or worse, not get to them at all, I figured we can answer some of them here. We'll keep all submitter names and identities anonymous and get right to the questions. LinkedIn DMs sliding in. Let's go. Okay. So this person is interviewing and people on leadership teams of the places that they're interviewing keep asking, are you sure you'll be able to thrive in this environment where we value flexibility and relationships and don't value or want a lot of process or procedure? We just don't want you to be frustrated when you aren't able to execute on things due to our culture. Jen, what do you have to say to them? So this person's interviewing for legal ops roles and being asked on an interview if they'll be able to thrive in some of these corporate environments that favor flexibility and relationships over process or rules or procedure. They want to make sure that she's not frustrated and unhappy in the role. And I think this person's getting at Do chief legal officers, general counsels, and legal leaders, do they really want this role? Why are they hiring this if they don't want us to come do this? And they're perceiving a distance between those two points. And the answer is yes, especially if you're being hired as the first legal ops person. And especially if you're being hired in a role that is manager or up where you're going to be doing strategy, vision, and maybe some or all of the executing or building a team eventually to execute, there is a distance. And like, how do you measure that distance? You know, on a recent podcast, we were talking about the distance between the legal stakeholder that we're serving with a solution and the future that we as ops people know. And there's a distance there. I don't think that is a negative attribute of our roles. I think that's reality is that you're being hired as a teacher as the professor, as the one who can take this from conceptual and obscure and the general counsel read about it in ACC mag or sees it all over LinkedIn and is curious. So here's the role. They're curious, but you have to come in and work at the pace that they're ready to work at, not at the pace we're all thinking about it and talking about it on LinkedIn as a peer group, as a community group. That pace is for us to vibe on. But when you go in, you're a clinician and clinicians meet people where they are and they take them from there to next. I actually learned a bit of this in social work school. Call your life and getting to the better place of any situation, micro or macro, call that A to Z. And we learned very early on that social work is not about getting someone to Z. It's about finding out that they are at F. Point five, not F and not G. They're at actually at F.5 in whatever situation they're navigating in themselves or in life. And you are so good at listening that you're like, oh my goodness, it's 0.5. It's so precise. 
And you spend two thirds of your time listening to understand where they are and to be able to measure that and put the little red emoji pin in. And then you're going to take them maybe to G, maybe to H, maybe to I, if you're lucky in your solutioning. We call that care planning and social work, but in here we call it solutions. It's bringing people along to a better place in a framework of treatment here. It's project management. It's transformational work. It's not that different, just different words. And I think we as legal ops folks, because we're so futury and visiony and obsessed with this puzzle work that we get frustrated when we see this big distance between a CLO's understanding where the people are and where you are. And we want to ascribe a negative charge to that. It's There's a distance and therefore it's wrong. It's not wrong. It's just what is. It's just what is. And we're always going to be hired into these roles for the next, I don't know, dozen years. Like this is so new still. We're going to be hired in to be those firsts and those teachers and to bring them from F.5 to G to H. And if we're lucky, we're at this role enough where we get to I and we fulfilled some big foundational implementations. And so it's most important for this person and for any of us is when you hear that question, ask questions about the culture, how the culture works, how you're measured on success, what the key values are, and make sure those are congruent with you as a person, how you operate, how you think so that you can thrive there and have fun in some of the mess in the boulder being pushed uphill You can have enough fun there and enough longevity there to make a real impact. This kind of work we do is, I think, three to five year commitment. You should be going into these roles because it takes that long to get beneath the foundation and then build up and earn trust from people and listen so that you know where they are to build the right solutions for them. So find your culture match. And if those questions are throwing you off, dig deeper on the values below and match yourself. That's what I've done in my last two roles. I have very strong culture match to these environments and I thrive, even though sometimes the distance that's called out here is very far where I think we should be and where they actually are. And I embrace this whole journey inch by inch and manage my mentality that way so I don't go down the dark hole. How important would you say relationships are in legal operation? Relationships are actually the operating system that will get all of this stuff moving and this stuff to solutions. I knew it rolls back that relationships were very important, but I didn't realize how important until I left my first huge legal ops job and then saw how the people related to me posthumously when I was at my next company, the way people would write me and say like, we really miss you here. It was in this deeply personal way. People really connected to some of the work and me behind it when I was at Cisco. In a way, I have a connection with those folks that is very strong. And I learned after that it was the relationship investing I did and getting to know people and be human and then get really fun work or hard work done. In an environment where there's less procedure, relationships are going to be that operating system for moving work across, aligning the work and getting things done and mobilizing people to help you, inspiring them to help you. If you have a relationship with them, you can A, get to them quicker, inspire them to listen to you for 20 minutes on what we want to do here, 
and or when things get rough and you have a real relationship, trust is established and you know one another, I can share what isn't working in the work or their performance or between us. And we can tighten that up. We can go into conflict and then come out in an even stronger place. So relationships first. Great. Our next DM asks, I'd love to get your thoughts on implementing legal operation strategies within the legal department of a very tech-phobic legal department. Tech-phobia legal department. Well, fear. Phobia means fear. And fear always boils down to two things in us, in the human spirit. It's fear of not getting what you want. It's fear of losing what you have. It's fear of the unknown. Something's going to come and take me out or take my job or something awful. And if they're tech phobic, your first three to six months is producing a story, a strategic narrative of your vision and what you're here to do. Or maybe you're in the role a while. It's time for you to come up with a strategic narrative. Maybe it's a set of slides that you're going to go present to a couple of teams or those leaders to get to those teams later. It's a multi-pronged thing. Design that out. Your strategic narrative should be about dispelling the fear, about defining what this is, what this isn't, about inspiring a future, a picture of a future that is near where they can understand, they can follow you in this story and feel like they're in the story with you and they can see themselves somewhere in that future with you. And just dispelling the fear, it's almost like cultural, psychological assurance storytelling. And I've sometimes made the joke, the vision is robot lawyers. Just kidding. There'll never be any such thing. We need you guys. We need you guys forever. Life has so much uncertainty. Tech has so much we haven't solved for yet. And lawyers write the operating system for the businesses and the people in the world to work with. We'll always need you. But this tech is about taking some of the mundane tasks that keep your wonderful staff busy. It gives them better things to focus on so you could grow them to more meaningful roles. So you have to define, you have to teach, you have to fill in these gaps in very basic teaching examples. And you have to teach for a while in the beginning. And that's okay if that takes four to six months or it takes time. And I think metaphor is your friend here. Find those metaphors that appeal to that audience, whether it's an age-specific, a culture-specific metaphor, like a TV show or a book or a classic story or I once put something to like t-shirt sizes and I got more feedback, positive feedback on how the t-shirt size worked so well to teach them how. So think about teaching and I don't know, you can look up, I'm sure on LinkedIn, like how to teach someone something and get five tips on designing a learning journey for people, not just slamming them with facts. Do not show them the clock core 12 wheel. That's overwhelming. That's a lot of info boil it way down to a basic story, a strategic narrative, pick one to three things max and start small. People can't handle the fact that legal ops people can cover up to 12 core discipline areas. Like that's too much info. And I showed that once 
And someone asked me, so are you going to hire 12 people, one per core 12? And I'm like, no, this clock core 12 thing, that's for us to know. It's not for us to put in front of everyone and expect them to learn something from that. Start even smaller and work in the opposite of fear direction. The second part of her question was she was asking for advice on how to shift out of the dual role into a legal operations role. What a great question. Advice on how to shift out of the dual role into a legal ops focused role. So I assume that's something like contracts manager slash legal ops manager or paralegal slash legal ops manager. You did this, didn't you? I did this. My first role here had a couple slashes in it. And it's a great entree into anything, but we don't want to say stay slashed on any role ever because it's a subdivision literally of your time. And it's hard to have two roles split under your time, your name, your reputation and have these very different competing priorities underneath those roles. How do you prioritize those against one another? And I see this with dual role folks, the business will take off over there and contracts manager hat goes on and you have to draft or crank out with the lawyers a million documents and all the op stuff that's bigger picture thinking, strategic problem solving that needs a little more creativity and white space in your calendar. All that just gets compressed, even though that stuff is arguably more important because it can make this stuff run better later. So it's a great starting point that the slash jobs and for you to test out whether you like one more than the other or for you to show them this is what we mean by legal ops. But you should be having transparent combos with your manager at some point, assuming you like the legal ops role and you want to go full-time that. Ask your manager, as part of my growth, can we come up with a plan or a roadmap to get to full-time legal ops? What do you need to see or learn? Or what business case do we need to build together to show to their manager or their manager's manager on why we should make this role full-time? And maybe you work on that collaboratively together and prove that business case out for the full-time role. And look, there's work that you're doing over here under this hat. So Showing that you're willing to design this and think about this and build a business case, that means you're still covering your slash other duties and not leaving the business holding the bag on what needs to get to under those contracts, et cetera. You also come up with a plan with them. Like, how do you meaningfully automate some of that work or backfill? Or does it go to Johnny who's looking for growth in that area as someone else looking to grow into that? And then that work can be redistributed. So It's a thoughtful way to move slow, but we are allowed to ask our managers for their thoughts. We're allowed to state what we want in our career. And I encourage all of you, and I do this, I drive the growth combos with my managers. I drive them. I don't wait for them to set a clock to come talk to me about my future. You all need to be obsessed with your futures and bringing that up in a meaningful periodic way. Hopefully your company has a process that prompts this, but if they don't, you should prompt it once a year and have that kind of plan, planning growth combo going anyway. And this, you can fold into a growth combo and say, let's make a roadmap to make this full time and work on if they need the proof for the business case, work on that with them. And if they don't want to focus on that with you, you've got your answers, guys. Well, that brings us to our next DM. 
we have someone who's really struggling with a manager. They don't understand their manager. They like them as a person. They don't like them as a leader. And they're asking for advice on how to manage your manager. Oh my God. She's a great person, but a horrible leader. What happens when your manager is a great person and a horrible leader? Well, I've seen all over the articles, the business insiders, and that everything gets reposted all over LinkedIn, that sometimes your job and happiness at your job comes down to this relationship. It could be one of the primary relationships at your job, at your company, where we spend so much time. So it's a great question. We do have to manage our managers. Someone once a few companies back told me to read the book called Managing Up. And I read it like, whoa, I had no idea. And even what I was saying earlier in driving your own growth conversation, you going in and prompting that once in a while, if it's not being prompted by them, your manager or the company, that's in a way managing up. It's you going in with an agenda of things you'd like to talk about and being greedy for that time. Your time with your manager, that is your time. That's the design of management. It's your time to get what you need from them so that you can be successful. So hate to say it, but the answer here is headed towards you need to have a difficult conversation. And you might have to tell them in constructive feedback what is working for you and what could be done better so that you're successful or the work is successful. And are you ready to do that? And if you're not ready to open up that combo and it takes a lot of courage and it takes a little skill to do constructive feedback, it's not constructive criticism, it's feedback. And the difference between constructive feedback is you're leaving someone with something to build with, construct something new with versus you suck. You're a terrible person. I hate that font, period. I heard that feedback once. I hate that font. I hate how that slide looks. Here's my feedback. And I'm like, that's not constructive. That's criticism. So finding the words. And if you need help with that, there's literature out there. Pull a peer aside. Role play it out with your spouse. Find a mentor. These are some of the most critical moments of our career. You need to be able to tell them, hey, sometimes I find you tend to be everywhere with... And here's the example. The other day, we were talking about the project. It's due date. And I didn't feel like you were with me emotionally in that combo. You were distracted by ABC. What I would really needed was your undivided attention in person with me to get to a solution. Now I need more of your time because we couldn't get there. If you could give me more focus next time, that would be really helpful. And I'd save you time managing me. So really constructive specific with an example and then saying what would work for me can we try that next time and you have to be able to do these on anything that's bothering you in this dynamic and you'll start to be communicating on a deeper level and you'll get more data on how to keep communicating on a deeper level and i think the relationship could change it takes a lot of courage i'm with you girl it's scary hierarchically too uh, give feedback up so start with one thing I know you have a list of 50. Oh, here's a hack for feedback. We all have a list of 50 things to tell the person. I could tell anyone 50 things right now. 
But today, I will not go beyond one and a half things. People shut down at two, even a manager. Just table the other 48 and a half, pick your one thing and go in with an example. What could be done better? Can we try this? And let the conversation be around the one thing. Don't go, and next on my list is your tone of voice when you bring things up with me. And third on the list, people are so shut down by then. So pick one and a half at most things and let the combo just unfold around it and it'll get you both talking more. And that is the key here is more communicating on a deeper level about things. Could that blow up in your face? It absolutely could blow up in your face. It could. And you could be having a bad day and just blurt it and not do it maybe as professionally as you wanted or you knew you could. Maybe you didn't practice with anyone. Maybe you were so scared that you just were like, blah, and maybe they took it really wrong. Maybe it didn't hit them at their ear the way you meant it. And it could go worse. It could get worse before it gets better. That's okay. Stay in the combo. If it blows up, try to pause, try to reset, try to listen, try to find new words. Keep paraphrasing what you're saying. Try another way. Try another way. You might flop only to learn what their real communication style is. You know, we all have our own receiving feedback that you give to anyone. It's received at their ear. It's not received when it comes out of your mouth. It might take you three fails with someone, three blowups for you to go, oh, I have to say a detailed example to my manager or a person and not be so broad and not be personal and use I statements. They get really, they're reacting. I didn't mean it that way. And you might have to meet them in the middle. They might have to meet you in the middle. Like we don't all receive the same way. So it's okay if it blows up. Blow things up sometimes to keep finding what's on the other side of that. If you stay the course, you'll get more data on how to communicate with them better. And I do a lot of shifting of my shape with different people. It's part of the reason I'm so tired after work. I do a lot of trying to find people where they are and it's very tiring. I could just be like lazier and stay back where I am. And I would sound like I'm on The Sopranos. I'd be like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like bleep, bleep, bleep. I'd be like, what do you mean? I didn't do that. Like that's not me trying. That's me falling back on like I grew up in the New York City metro area. Keep working to lean and listen more to where people are and keep trying to find where people are and stay the course. You're not going to get fired for it unless you do something unprofessional. But I know you person on this DM. Actually, I don't know them. That's why I'm answering it on the podcast to try to get some economies of scale here. But I know most of us are pretty high grade professionals. There's room in there to be imperfect. Just keep trying. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. If you have a burning question or would like to be featured on the show in the future, slide into my DMs. You can learn more about the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium online at clock.org and catch more episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.